Let's just pray, shall we? Father, as we come to your word, Father, pray you'd open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, uh, to see truth. Father, truth that we know will set us free. And that, Lord, you would uh, free up stuff uh, in each one of us in our, in our communities, our fellowships uh, this evening. Lord Jesus, we do surrender all to you. The glory that that joy of full salvation is ours in Jesus. That you loved us and that you go on loving us. And we just want to bask in a sense in that love this, this evening, but Lord also teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it, it's um, one of the uh, uh, um, sort of fixed um, principles of giving feedback when you've observed someone teaching or you've done something like that, to always do the bad news first and the good news later. All right? You always tell them the stuff that you think was not very good before you tell them the stuff that is good. And I think this evening I've got, I think in a way it's really simple, um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a warning and three encouragements. Does that make sense? I, I sort of like that because it's like more encouraging than warning. All right? But I want to get the warning done first because actually, to be honest, that was the first that came. You may know if you've been here for the last, oh, how long it's been, the last three of these I've done, which is probably the last sort of like two months. Um, I've been sort of working through um, the early history of Israel through Joshua and Moses and Judges. Yep. And the, the verse I want to start on this evening uh, should be on screen, 1713, Judges 1713. The book of Judges uh, records a time of Israel's history when they're in a promised land, but it's really going wrong continually. It's like a cycle of them going wrong and then God raising up someone, a leader, traditionally a judge, a leader who, who, who will bring them back and win a victory, yeah? And get sort for a while, and, and classically they, they, they work for about 40 years. And then after that person goes, it all goes bad again. And at the end of the book of Judges, there's two stories. There's two, I think they're appendixed, that's the right word for it. They're put to the end of it. And they're not really in the main flow. I'm not sure you can trust the chronology of when they are so much. Um, but there's some time in that period, that sort of three or 400 years, between when Joshua came, brought them into the promised land and when we get the beginning of kings, Saul and David, and so on. And, and they're both stories of, of, well, they're not very nice stories, actually. They're not encouraging stories. But in the middle of this story about Micah in chapter 17, I'm going to read a bit of it in a second, but there's this verse here. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. So I want to say it up front to start with. The warning here is that sometimes it's very easy for us to see something that happens out there in the world, an event, a, a, a coincidence, a God incidence, people sometimes call them, don't they? Um, and, and wrongly think that confirms what we think God's saying. And uh, I'm, I'm being a bit, now, there's a lot, I'm, going to say I'm going to say why I think it's difficult here and why it happens. We don't have to do that, right? It's not automatic, but I think it's easy sometimes, particularly as spirit-filled, prophetic Christians. Um, if, if we go sometimes in places where we can see stuff that happens and see it as a confirmation of what God's doing and say, oh, good, therefore it's right. That makes sense? That's the warning. 
right? Now let's look back a bit about, about what's going on here. Because actually, where this comes, this, it, it comes in the middle of a story about this guy, Michael. And you probably don't know the story. Do you know, anyone know this? Well, Laurie knows the story, but apart from the trained clergyman in the room, do you know the story? So let me do it a little bit from the beginning. I'll, I'll read some of the text. You don't put them on screen. So chapter 17 starts. A man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, listen to this. A man said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have the silver with me. I took it. His mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. That is an amazing mother. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just want to say, put it out there, you know, if my, one of my kids has stolen 1,100 1, shekels of silver from me, I'm, anyway. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver, he said to his mother, uh, sorry, when he returned the silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord. So far, so good? In fact, actually, she's responding well to the fact that the kids admitted he's stolen the stuff. And now he's concentrated to the Lord. But it goes on to say, for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. I'll give it back to you. Because this is the whole thing about judges. This whole period, there's this, there's this the Israelites know the truth of God. I mean, it's not that far since they're... You know, grandfathers, what it was, great grandfathers came into the promised land through the, the sea and everything, all that stuff, right? But they know the law, they, they know there is a God, the Lord, Yahweh, that's, that's the right name here for the Lord God. But, but they just don't get it. They cast it into religious form all the time, idols. And, and you know, that's where, so this story starts with this man, Mike. Firstly, he's honest. The guy who says this, right, when he gets to this point, let's be clear, he starts off absolutely deceitful, right? And that's the first thing I point out. Second thing I point out is that actually he and his family are now going to make this idol. And, and indeed he does. Uh, and, sorry, so he took the, he returned the silver to his mother and she took 200 shekels of it. Oh, only 200s of it, Okay. So she didn't quite give it all to the Lord. She dedicated it to the Lord, but only 200 of it goes to make the idol. Maybe, I don't know, that good or bad. Uh, he made them into an image, and they put in Micah's house. Now this Micah, man Micah had a shrine. He made an ephod and some idols and, and installed one of his sons as his priest. That's, that's not right either. Not at all. Um, they know enough to know how in Israel... The priests come from a certain lineage. There's a certain structure to that. It's not from the tribe of Ephraim or your, your son doing it. In those days, the, the writer of um, Judges says, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Um, verse 7. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Jerusalem, he said. Sorry, from Bethlehem. That's bad misreading. I'm a Levite from Bethlehem, he said. I'm looking for a place to stay. Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and my priest. And I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year. 
Of course, Chris Clare's head at this point thinks, 10 shekels a year, you've got 900 shekels left from the money you nicked from your mum. That's 90 years. That's pretty much saying, you know, right? I'm not sure that's how he thought. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, and Micah said, now I know that this, the Lord would be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. Do you get this, how mixed up this is? This is folk religion gone really badly wrong, hasn't it? It's got elements of the truth. It's, who is it that says they've got the form of the religion but not the power? John? And, and, but, but you see, he's sort of right in the sense that it'd be better to have a Levite doing this stuff than his, than his son doing it. And there's sort of something about dedicating to the Lord. It's not to, she doesn't dedicate to the Baals or anything. It is to the Lord, to Yahweh. But he's wrong all round. But he sees this, the fact this Levite comes as a sort of sign. Hey, it's okay. God will be good to me. Now I've done it right. Warning, church. Be careful. When you see and you, something's happening, whatever it is, whatever we're praying for, whatever we see prophetically, uh, and something happens, you think, oh, that, oh, that, that looks. You see, I'll do a personal thing. Uh, it was very easy for me because our house sold very easily. I mean, like ridiculously easily. From inviting the estate agent in and, well, actually, it took a week to clear it up, actually, and to hide all the crap in various cupboards um, <laughs> so it looked tidy. But, but from that point when the first people came around, it was seven weeks till I had the money in the bank. Um, uh, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it was still stressful at times, but hang on. It's very easy. In this case, I think it's right that we moved, you get? But it's very easy to say, oh, that proves, that shows that it was right to do. And that doesn't. What shows it's right to do is the fact I'd had a whole load of words in prophecy for the last three years, and eventually I come to agree to them. That makes sense? Uh, there's a thing in, in T.S. Eliot, emerging the Cathedral, where, where we ha he has Beckett saying, the last temptation of the greatest treason, to do the right deed for the wrong reason. And, and there's something in us, I think, who want, uh, and it's not a bad thing, and it's in me, uh, okay, something in me, and you may share this sometimes, when, when once we see things and we want to say, oh, that shows that God's in this. And often it's because things are working out. <laughs> and quite often, I think, we're called to struggle and fight, and fight, and fight, and fight, and fight, and fight, and fight. And the victory is the gods in the end. But quite often, we look for the little victories in it and think, that's God. We go this way, oh it's, oh, it's God easy. And that's my warning. My warning is, to, uh, be careful what you say, Chris, because this geezer had already gone well wrong. It wasn't like he was well in, in understanding what God was saying. He was deceitful. He didn't understand where worship was. He had been... All that stuff, right? But then he comes to this thing where he says, Bosh, and now I win. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, and I think the author of Judges, who, who, the guy who wrote it, is the same. He's sort of thinking, this is really a broken society. In those days, there was no king, and everyone did what he saw fit, verse 6. Weirdly, if you, if you have time and you read on, um, I'm not going to do this because there's a whole thing in the next chapter um, um, about the tribe of Dan who never got the uh, property and, uh, and, and they in the end decide to go north and, 
and, and do some bad stuff and kill some people and take some land. But they steal the Levite and the idols. The idol that Micah has made and the Levite, who turns out to be a grandson of Moses, if you read chapter 18, at least most likely he is, a grandson of Moses this man is. Or maybe because of the way genetics, sometimes it may be like a great-grandson. He ends up going up with the tribe of Dan with the idols to the very north of Israel's territory. And it becomes a centre of idol worship for the northern kingdom when the kingdom splits. So some way forward through Saul and David and Solomon to Rehoboam, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam installs idols there. I think I've got one kings, have I? I've got one kings. Twelve. Uh, and and when, he, when the kingdom splits, he puts an idol in Bethel in the south and one in the north. And it becomes a centre of idol worship. Now this is where, if I was a teacher properly... I would do a quiz thing and I would ask someone to stand up and name the 12 tribes of Israel. And those who ought to know are now feeling very worried because <laughs> they'll get as far as like Judah and Ephraim and Levi and then they'll really struggle over all the rest because they won't know whether they include Simeon or not. And they know there's two sons of Joseph, and they both come, come tribes. But there are only 12 tribes, not 14 tribes. And it gets very confusing. But, a half tribe. If you go to Revelation, at the very end of the book, chapter 7, there's a list of the tribes. Revelation 7, 5. Symbolic, isn't it? We've done Revelation recently, haven't we? Not really from a tribe of Judah in sort of genetic descent by, by DNA and stuff. He's talking about the kingdom, and it'll be complete, and everyone comes in, and there's 12,000, the perfect number from every of the 12 tribes. Where's tribe? Can you see Dan in that list? The tribe of Dan, who stole the idol and took it north. The idol that Micah made. The idol, he said, God will be good to me now, because I've got a Levite. Not there. There are 12 tribes there. <laughs> but not Dan. There's another missing as well. With this other centre of idol worship Israel and me. And I agree actually, so it's got to say, that this, they missed out because they were the two centres of idol worship in Israel that pulled the people astray. Because there's no idolatry in heaven. Amen? We only worship God. So this story that this man stealing the silver and doing this thing goes on to become a really quite important thing in the history of Israel and the failure of the northern kingdom of Israel, those ten tribes, to follow Yahweh and the idolatry that comes into that. Warning, be careful when stuff happens and you too easily say, oh yeah, that shows what we're doing is right. Well, let's do the encouragements now. Immediately after this, there's the beautiful story of Ruth, four chapters. I've got Ruth, I've got the first verse, I think, on the screen. Have I? Yeah, go. Ruth is a separate book. It's a separate, it's a beautifully written story. It's just brilliantly done. And, and it's all about loss. It's about this, this, this lady Ruth. Um, so Naomi, Israelite, got two sons, a husband, goes to Moab. The sons get wives. One of them's Ruth. And then the husband and the sons die. 
And we get this story of Ruth who chooses to follow the God of Israel, who, who chooses to come back with Naomi, although she, her, her husband's uh, and the father-in-law's gone, and chooses to stick with Naomi and, and be. He says, your God will be my God, and when you die, I'll die. And, and it's a lovely, beautiful story, but it's basically built around that this, this girl, Ruth, this young girl, this foreign girl, this Moabite, yes, who's chosen to follow Yahweh, to, follow, to, to be a follower of, of, of the Lord. And, and it's no, there's no great words of prophecy or anything in this book. There's no great, like, deep theology, except for the fact there's someone who's chosen to follow God, who faithfully does it, quietly does what she has to do. She's a brilliant character. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in the way the story works out. And if you know the story, uh, she comes back to Israel, and in the end, after a bit of huffing around, she marries a guy called Boaz. And Boaz, of course, is the father of Obed, who's the father of David. My warning is, be careful when stuff happens and too easily say, that confirms what I'm seeing. All right? Make sure you're in the right place when you say that. My first encouragement is, sometimes, in like chaos and bad stuff happening, there are Christian people, God-loving people, who are doing the right thing, who are just being faithful, and have almost no idea of the effect that that's going to have. God's doing something here. It's through Ruth and Boaz that we'll get eventually. Did I I miss out Jesse? Sorry, Obed and then Jesse and then David, right? It's through that that faithfulness of that foreign lady choosing to follow Jesse. So different to Micah. I don't know how her theology was. I'm not sure she knew very much. All she did was she showed loving kindness and faithfulness in a difficult situation. And chose to follow the God of Israel. And that quietly happens. So my encouragement is this. Quite often I think we, we can't always see what God's doing. And I don't think it's even always obvious to us prophetically until we just see it. I think it's a limit in which God shows us what we need to know. Yeah? yeah? Uh, you know, I, I want to know the whole story, but I don't know the whole story. No one knew when she married Boaz. It's a lovely story, but they didn't know what's going to happen, that they're going to get a guy called David, who's a man after my own heart, God says, who's going to absolutely establish the kingdom and wipe out the idol worship in Israel. I mean, it's just a quiet thing, but it's a beautiful, quiet thing. Sometimes encouragement. Sometimes the effect we have of just faithfully doing what God's told us to do is awesome, but may not be seen. Hey, Ruth never saw it. I don't suppose Ruth's kids ever realised either, really. It's too far down the line. But even in the time, what's that verse? When the judges ruled and all the things was mucking around, hey, God was at work. God was at work. There's not, in my head, and probably not theologically very sound, there's a sort of resonance with Mary here as well, right? Yep. Someone just quietly, faithfully doing what they're told to do. Be it to me as the Lord says. And the second thing that God's doing, as, as we come to the end of this, as I read, the end of this period of judges where, where stuff's difficult and tough, and, and there's a lot of. He's raising a man called Samuel. I just love Samuel. I've got a verse from 1 Samuel as well. Have I got 1 Samuel 3? I have, yeah. So, it's, first encouragement sometimes it's just 
okay to carry on doing faithfully what God called you to do. And God works stuff out of that, out of our response of faithfulness. You see, Samuel, Samuel is a prophet, and he's raised up as a prophet, and he, and he hears God's voice, but it's not what it is early on. It's the bit early on where he, where he hears God calling the night and doesn't know what it is. And, and the old priest Eli is a bit, not a good bloke in many ways, just very weak it seems. At least tells Samuel, okay, cause again, say, here I am, Lord, speak. God is raising up th- this guy Samuel. Samuel is going to have a really tough job as a prophet. In my opinion, it's one of the toughest jobs. Because he's going to be this like... In between, this time of change, between the time he's the last of the, of the judges, the leader of Israel, he becomes the leader of Israel, he's a very good leader of Israel, he leads all of Israel, he, he wins battles over the Philistines and he judges them and he's honest and people respect him, although his sons are rubbish again. Um, there's, there's quite a, lot, a, a subplot here, by the way, about um, people not managing to bring their kids up properly, but that's another issue. And, but, but he's going to have to transition into the kingship. It's really hard, I think, when, when we're at times of transition where God's doing a different and new thing in church life. Because the sort of traditional established thing of God being God and there being a leader like Samuel who leads his people and is prophetic and he's very good at it. He's brilliant at it. He's not bad at it. It doesn't stop because he's bad at it. He's doing it wrongly. It stops because the people demand a king. Uh, and God sort of says, okay, that's fine. Someone's against it to start with. He doesn't get it at all. He thinks they rejected the Lord, but the Lord says no. Because in a deeper sense, this is part of the plan that God's got to lead through David, through Solomon, blah, 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 to Jesus. Amen? Second encouragement is this. If you hear what God's saying, and we do, if you are open to Holy Spirit, then there'll be times when we, we see stuff and it's just difficult and awkward. I think those times are most difficult when there's times of change and transition from one to another. And, and inevitably, Samuel, he's a great guy. He's really good. But he just finds it hard to move on to the new thing. God's very gracious with him. See, God is doing two, that quiet thing of getting ready for David. And then this rather more public thing of, of making sure that in his people Israel, there are people who can see prophetically. Of course, in the Old Testament, prophetic stuff is, you know, a single person for a period, for a special purpose. New Testament, for us, we all see. We all hear. Different, different ways, different depths. and ease. That's why we're a community together. We share this stuff together to understand it. The encouragement is this. If you do see, that's great. Keep seeing, keep hearing. But sometimes I think it's difficult when there are times, I think we're in a time of transition at the moment. I think we're in a time of transition, both as a church and sort of culturally as well. Maybe in the West, we always have been, maybe it's been a continuous transition, sort of since the Second World, First World War. Discuss, you know, essays, 5,000 word essays, please, on my desk in the morning. Um, but I... No, don't even. <laughs> but but I think I think there is transition happening. I think it's change happening in the way church is and the way it interacts with the world. Of course, of course, God doesn't change. 
the core things like, you know, the importance of worship stuff don't change, but, but, but stuff, stuff is cha- has been changing. Flip it, COVID pushed it a bit faster, didn't it? Technology is there whether you like it or not. People do respond differently now through our culture. And, and therefore I think, like I say, encouragement, keep hearing what God's doing, keep seeing what God's doing, because Samuel is a model. He hears God, he says it, it says in 1 Samuel, um, 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 about verse 19 of this chapter, um, God did not let any of his words drop to the ground. Right? Brilliant, brilliant thing for someone to say. The words he had, the words prophecy he had, didn't drop to the ground. And, uh, but it doesn't mean to say it was easy for him. <laughs> it doesn't mean to say that life went smoothly. <laughs> it wasn't a straightforward thing at all. And he sort of felt that the whole bunch of people he was leading were wrong when they demanded a king. It's hard leading God's people sometimes, isn't it, Laurie? There, 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 there's, there's a very deep reason why Jesus used the model of God's people being sheep. I'll just leave that hanging out there, shall I? <laughs> they are, I mean, I mean, I mean, careful what I say now, because, I mean, lamb is my favourite meat, but... But, but apart from that, they are the most stupid animals. <laughs> if you've ever tried to chase one on a mountainside, they have no idea at all. They, I mean, they're very good at running. And, and they're very, but they're just, they're just, oh dear. And, and I think some of you, if he was here, would, would just agree with that. Encourage you. As we see what God's saying and t- telling us, let's keep with that even when it seems like it's hard. Because Samuel did not see that through what he was going to do and what he did not want to do of making kings, and the first one was a disaster, let's be honest about it, but the second one was okay, that was going to be the line, the kingship line that leads to Jesus. God's got a plan. And that lands me nicely in John chapter 4, verse 3. We're probably going to land this and see how it goes. Um, someone who taught me a long time ago uh, would always say, if you read verses like this and there's a word like therefore or so or because, you've got to go back and say, why is there so there? So? I mean, it's straightforward. He left Judea and went to Galilee, yeah? Why did he do that? Always a dangerous thing to ask this. You go back a verse. I didn't. I don't think I asked you that, did I? Did I? Good lad. Oh, bother! Two verses. Drat. <laughs> I have to read it. Sorry, mate. <laughs> uh, you have to excuse me. I'm not very with it this evening. Exactly. <laughs> go. Now Jesus learned the Pharisees heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus didn't baptize, it was actually his disciples. So. He left and went back. I read this verse. Again, just put your hands up. You have these spirits where you read a bit of the Bible and you think, that wasn't there last week. <laughs> have you ever had that? It's just bizarre. 
I, I mean, I must have read John's Gospel, I don't know how many times. I love John's Gospel. I've written, you know, like, studies on it. And I thought, I, that, that has not been there before. I really don't think, someone, someone snicked it in. Right? He heard, when he heard, Jesus heard, that the Pharisees had heard what was going down. So, you left your dear. Why? And I prayed about this, and I, I, don't, I wouldn't like to sort of stand up in a, I don't know, a theological seminary or whatever and, 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 and totally argue this. But look, look, Jesus, Jesus knows God. Jesus hears from God. If Micah is rubbish at hearing what God's saying, and Ruth sort of gets it right by accident just by being, doing what she has to do, being faithful. And, and, and Samuel, bless him, hears very clearly and has very clear words. You look at the word he has to Saul when Saul doesn't obey him at Bethel that time. Absolutely clear word. Jesus gets exactly what God's saying. But he's human. He's laid aside his glory. He's only hearing what any... Someone who's with that. He says, you know, when Satan comes to get him at the Last Supper, he has no hold on me because he has no sin. So, so he is completely clean and clear. So I don't think he's running scared. It's not the Pharisees are here, oh, I better get back to Galilee where it's safe. No, no, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is sensing and knows that he, his, I mean, he's got lots of things to do. He's got to teach the disciples, you know, shepherd the sheep because they're, Useless. He's got to teach the disciples. He's got to heal. He's got to do the signs. But fundamentally, fundamentally, he's come to the cross. Fundamentally, he's here to live and to die and to make sure that for us, the way to heaven's open, that we can become alive again in the spirit. And Jesus, I'm sure here, senses timing and oh my word, how difficult that is for us to hear timing. It's so much easier to see what God's doing and, and what's happening and the future, you know, hear these words, than it is to work out when it's right. When it's right to go and engage and when it's right to back off. He does back off. He doesn't stay in Judea and confront them. He goes back to Galilee. Oh, he will confront them. If you believe John's chronology, it's like two years later, but I mean, I'm not sure chronology is brilliant here. But at this point, this point is not the time to confront. There's no fear in that. There's no sense of, you know, I better get out of the way. What there is a simple understanding that we've, okay, there's a thing, oh, well, I've nearly left, so you can't tell me off. I'm going to quote Lord of the Rings. When Gandalf says, things are now in motion that can't be undone. Do you know that line? Things are now in motion that can't be undone. And that's what resonates with me here. There's a point at which Jesus has, has, has almost like, I don't know, stirred up something, okay? He's been teaching quite quietly. Disciples have been baptizing people. He's been doing other Jordan. He's been doing this stuff. And now the religious people in Jerusalem have heard about it. And Jesus heard they've heard about it. Right. The game's in play. The game's in play.
And sometimes, here's the encouragement, I think, I think God's saying to us. Sometimes for us, we have to be willing to say, yep, game's in play. We've stirred the opposition up. But it isn't quite the time to take it on. It will be time to take it on because we have the victory and Jesus will win the victory. But at the moment, we go back to Galilee. We keep teaching the disciples. Now, I think that's really hard to know because I think it's, it's always easier prophetically to see what God's saying or where it's going than to know timing. Hey, church, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you that Jesus here. He's always seems to be, he's never taken by surprise by things. It always seems to be that he knows he's like a step ahead of people, isn't he? Even when they come to arrest him in the garden. I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, just think, I just think it's awesome the way he always, because he's open to what God is saying. Because he's not, I mean, we are, we, we get things wrong. He doesn't get things wrong. But he doesn't have any special thing other than being not sinful. We can hear God like he can hear God. And, and whereas I see Samuel struggling through stuff in a way, <laughs> Jesus, it just, it just does it. It's okay. But it doesn't always mean storming forward. It doesn't always mean taking it on now. Sometimes it means, right, game's in play. But for the moment, my job is to teach these guys, these disciples, go back to Galilee, do some miracles. There's an interesting thing, again, um, I won't be able to find it probably because I haven't put my notes. But um, again, do read John's Gospel, it's fantastic. But there's a bit where, do you know that bit where... Um, um, this is, this is uh, chapter 2 verse 4 the first miracle uh, the, the miracle of the water into wine what does Jesus say when his mum asked him to do it do you remember he says not my time he says, my time has not yet come my time has not yet come and, and and that's again a really I think a really deep thing to say I mean he does it anyway let's be honest about it okay what does he mean by my time has not yet come you see, you see if, you, if you are open to Holy Spirit, as he is, it's not just knowing the right thing to do. It's knowing the right time to do it. It's not just getting the direction right. It's getting the implementation right as well. Now, I, don't, I think there's lots of grace here, and we'll get it wrong. It's not a problem. We, you know, again. But I think there's something, again, church, I encourage you. Just make sure that we listen to what God's saying to us. And what God's saying, we do. But sometimes we will impatiently want to do things which aren't actually right yet. They will write things, maybe, but not quite the time yet. Oh, we'll also do things, by the way, we've missed doing them because we're disobedient and whatever, and go back and do them, we miss them out. Right? Time is so hard. Don't, warning, be careful when you see something. Oh, that's, that happened, that must confirm. Be careful about those things. Make sure you're in the right place. Make sure you're not in a mica place when you see those things. Be encouraged that sometimes faithful obedience is what we need to do. And God works through that. Allah Ruth. Be encouraged that, that, that 
hearing God's voice is great and is important and God wants us to be prophetic, but sometimes that will be tough because sometimes it will become in times of transition when we have to speak it out. And it's, no, it doesn't quite feel right to do it because we've been pulled out of a comfort, place of comfort. And third, fourth encouragement, sorry, third encouragement, fourth point. Just look at Jesus and look at how he manages to hear what God's saying and respond to situations. You see, it's not like, oh, here's a little thing happened. Oh, must, God must bless me now. No, 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 no. It's this thing's happened and what God's telling me to do is this. And to get the timing right of things. That's quite a complicated thing. I want to say more about timing if I get a chance to in two weeks' time. I've not taken off by then. Um, it will be, in fact, my last encounter ever about timing things. I've prayed and thought a lot about that. Because I think it is quite hard. And I'll go back to my own situation, if I may. Um, um, well, I'm going to anyway, so tough luck, really. But um, 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 I'm, I'm fairly old now, 71. I was, I was 24 uh, when, when I had a real sense that the job was done. It wasn't a nasty sense. I didn't have a cancer or anything, but I real like a real sense of, of that's it. Thank you, Lord. I'll come home now, please. It was really slightly weird, but it wasn't scary weird. Do you know what I mean? It was just like I'd done some stuff. I'd blessed some youth work and stuff, and and it just felt like that was like a an input, and and it was a really funny feeling, and it persisted for a couple of weeks, really quite strongly, really. I didn't tell anyone about it at the time, really, because it seems like bizarre, really. Um, and I prayed, uh, and just felt, and then some stuff changed, and new stuff started, and it became clear that what I'd, what I'd sensed was there's an end of a phase. There was a transition to a different phase of doing ministry and stuff. And I, and I love the way God did it, because God decoupled me from the old thing first. Does that make sense? So I almost became, almost became, I loved the things people I was doing stuff with, but I almost became the point where I wasn't that interested in what I was saying because I thought I was going to heaven. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that it's right for us to move, and I don't know what it's going to look like. We're going to new stuff, I don't know what it's going to look like at all. I know some things about it, but I don't know in terms of ministry what it's going to look like at all, really. And I've got all the words that have piled up in the last three or four years about it. But, but I, I sort of was in that place of moving when I first stopped being deputy head, which was, what, 10 years ago now? Uh, 11 years ago. But that was the wrong time. That was the wrong time. But it could seem like the right time. It could have seemed like the right time because there was an ending happening. I've learned so much. Bless Laurie and Wendy. In the last... How long have you been here, Laurie? Seven years. Oh, really? Oh, dear. Time flies when you're old, doesn't it? Or having fun. Huh? Or having fun. <laughs> yes, having fun, yeah. <laughs> I've learnt so much. And I don't, know, I, I don't know if any of it wasn't there implicitly somehow or other. <laughs> but, but it's much... I just feel it's much more out, out, out now, out in the open. And that was absolutely right. 
But I could easily have moved 10 years ago, 11 years ago. It would have been very easy to do. Would God have blessed me if I moved? Yeah, probably, because God's pretty good at picking up the pieces. But it would have been wrong. Well, and this time, the difference is, like I say, all those words of prophecy which I didn't really listen to, which I've now learned to listen to properly. Life changes come to churches and fellowships and people, and God is very faithful. And follow Jesus. Be ever so clear, if you can, that you hear what God's saying, you see what God's doing, and you expect when the things happen, the catalyst things, the Pharisees heard what he was doing, Make sure you pray about it and say, Lord, is this a, what happened? What do we do here? What do we do here? Ultimately, we have the victory because of Jesus, whatever happens. But I want to encourage you, church. I think, we, I think we're getting better at it and good at it, but I want to encourage you to push into it, to make sure that we hear what God's saying. And when those transition comes and when life is changing, we are just absolutely on what God's doing. The thing that transformed Israel's life from the judges to, the, to David's time, two things. One is God faithfully working through quietness. And secondly, responsive to his word. People, prophets, hearing what God says and speaking it out and having the courage to do it. Right? And that's where I think we are. It's not really a thing you respond to personally. It's more a teaching thing. Uh, I hope it's helpful. It's certainly helped me in thinking about stuff and shaping stuff. And if you get a chance, do read uh, The End of Judges and The Book of Ruth. The End of Judges is a pretty depressing read. But The Book of Ruth is beautiful. It's just such a lovely written story. And then he comes my, my hero, Samuel. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father we, want to, Father, we just thank you that we have learned to be a people, prophetic, lion-hearted, courageous people, hearing what you say. Father, that's who we are. That's where you've brought us to be. And Lord, we, we, want to, we want to press in on that. We want to press in on that in every way. We want to come to what we do, Lord, in you. Out of a real position of not religious mess like Micah, but out of true worship. Out of true faithfulness to the love and faithfulness you've shown to us. Father, I pray to help us too. To continue to press in. Father, help us, give us courage and strength when it's times of transition and tough. It's, it's just difficult to see how we go forward with you. Father, speak your word prophetically into our hearts. And Lord, I pray also, I just pray for us that increasingly we get that beautiful sense of timing that Jesus had. That Lord is ours too. Of moving at the right time. Lord, forgive us when we, like me, a bit slow sometimes to pick it up. But Father, bless you. Just take a moment's quiet.